Welcome to episode 007 of Windwords, a podcast dedicated to gaming Glorantha, the Bronze Age fantasy world featured in RuneQuest, HeroQuest, and other games and art forms. Introducing our hosts... Bill, just Bill. I am Ludovic, aka Lord Abdul. I own a high-stakes casino in Dubai. And I'm Baumgartner, Jörg Baumgartner. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, so, Bill, uh, speaking of uh, high stakes and casinos and games, you have some, uh, some update for us on... Uh, Indeed, I do. Yeah. For the for the person interested in winning the one million dollars in prizes, I recommend that you do not go to the <laughs> RP Central and get any information because we're not giving that away. Ah, uh, what are we doing? We are doing. Glorantha has talent. Hmm. We're Is that a question? <laughs> well, are we doing Glorantha has talent? We are doing Glorantha's talent, but the question is, is does Glorantha's talent? This uh, is what we're going to find out. Okay. But, you know, people aren't just going to show their talent for absolutely nothing. It's worth mentioning that we are talking about two great prizes from Chaosium. Um, now, that would be the Pegasus Plateau and the Smoking Ruins. But those, are, those are in PDF, yeah. Those there's, are, no, there's no physical rewards for the contests. It's all uh, digital rewards. Oh, my Lord. Wow. Uh, I guess this isn't quite a million bucks in that, in that case. Uh, it would cost about a million dollars to ship it to my house. It's still a pretty good PDF to get. Uh, but yeah, what else can people get if they participate and win? Well, you got those uh, two prizes, um, as, um, uh, possible prizes. We have Austin Conrad presenting eight issues of Monster of the Month, eight months worth of monsters mm. presented to your living room and on your computer from Austin Conrad. Eight ways to die. Eight. <laughs> no, some of them are cute and cuddly. Yes. Not all seven, of them are going to kill Seven you. ways to die and <laughs> one way to die in a very embarrassing way. <laughs> what else? And we well, do have... Um, a personalized uh, copy of Glamour. Ooh, personalized. Yes. A very unique uh, digital copy of the Rough Guide to Glamour. That's exciting. Thanks for the reminder. Those monsters will be coming to you personalized as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. <laughs> well, these are all going to be uh, coming your way. Should you be either the prince of entertainment, whether you be the chieftain of entertainment or perhaps the thane of entertainment, so all of those prizes are up for grabs if our uh, listeners and whoever else uh, learns about this is uh, participating. Uh, they have a chance to win those prizes and to participate. All they have to do is send a uh, short recording of something Glorenthan, a joke, a song, a, a story, a myth, whatever. Um, yeah. And I think uh, we have all of the information in the show notes, like a link to uh, the information our, on our website, uh, which you can also find. It's the top blog post on our website. Yeah. And now this is windwords.fm. W-I-N-D-W-O-R-D-S dot F-M. Nice and easy. Cool. Uh, but we have some uh, more announcements today, Bill. Well, we're going to introduce a few of our judges today. Uh, we've got uh, some 
Well, let, let's let them speak for themselves. Yeah, because we are not the ones who judge those uh, submissions, right? Um, yeah, well, not, not necessarily. Uh, we will be providing backup should we need it. Uh, so one of us might actually end up being a judge. Uh-huh. Maybe, but uh, more than likely, bribing us is not going to do you any good. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> well, okay. did bribe us anyway. <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> definitely. Bribes are uh, welcome. <laughs> um, okay, so let's listen to uh, three of our judges in uh, alphabetical order, I guess. Who are we starting with? That's, that's a logical idea. Let's go with Greta Gill. <laughs> that's not alphabetical then. No, it or, is reverse. Actually, it is. Then you oh, go to Nick Brooks and then you go to uh, Peggy Carpenter. Oh, I see. You wanted last name to be alphabetical. Yes. Oh, no, we can do first name alphabetical. Okay. Just go with Greta. Hello, I'm Greta. I'm an American girl from the Midwest in my late 20s. I started exploring Glorantha in about 2011 or so. I was in college at the time and I went to my friendly local gaming store and they had a used copy of the uh, Isseries Hero Quest book. And I bought it on the strength of the cover and opened it up. And there's a map of Ganertula in the book with one of the captions on it being Five Arcats Return. The greatest hero in history returns five times over, fighting himself and everyone else. And I think at that moment I fell in love with Glorantha as a setting, an idea, a concept. And from there I played King of Dragon Pass. I helped kickstart the guide. I read through a whole cavalcade of archive mailing list posts and old websites. And then began playing with Glorantha directly with the release of RuneQuest role-playing Glorantha. What art inspires my Glorantha? Riot Girl Punk, Visual K, Electronic Dance Music, um, the novels and short stories of Roger Zelazny, Tim Powers, Umberto Eco. A fair amount of anime and manga, uh, most immediately relevant, Lupin the Third, Claymore, Vinland Saga, Urusei Yatsura, Beautiful Dreamer, Ghost in the Shell. Some very formative movies that shaped how I envisioned Glorantha, the psychological atmosphere. The Witch, uh, the John Wick movies, and Atomic Blonde, which is technically a John Wick movie. Did you know that? Stephen Chow's filmography in general, especially Kung Fu Hustle, Justice My Foot, and God of Cookery. Uh, my most immediate inspirations are twofold. One's the short stories and novellas and single novels so far of the author Benjamin Shriduang Kiyo. And the other is a series of writings posted online, uh, Amateur Fantasy, by someone using the pseudonym Kinnereth. Which almost brings things full circle. Elder Scrolls coming back around to influence Glorantha again. Um, I'd like to say thank you very much, Greta. That's uh, that's wonderful. I love Zlesny. I absolutely adore um, uh, Bride Girl Punk. Kathleen Hanna is one of my faves. Yeah, we forgot to mention that uh, in addition to asking the judges to... Um present themselves we also ask them to talk a bit about what art inspires them especially in regards to their Glorantha gaming or um, how they think about Glorantha. and we got some pretty good answers for that i'm impressed we'll, we'll have uh, some uh, links to in the show notes to uh, these items Jorg, cool. do you have anything to add well uh, i would have to add we have two more judges to go so uh, yeah <laughs> 
So let's listen to the second judge, which is uh, Nick Brook, I guess. Yes, Nick you might know him. Which uh, people yeah, should know from episode four. Okay, let's listen to him. Nick, Nick Brook, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> let's yeah. just listen to him. Hi, my name's Nick Brook, and I've been playing with Greg Stafford's World of Glorantha for almost 40 years now. I played RuneQuest as a teenager. My big break came when I finished university in 1991, when Greg Stafford introduced me to David Hall, the editor of Tales of the Reaching Moon magazine. I spent the rest of the 1990s helping David produce his magazines and books and organizing conventions and sitting on convention panels and writing live action role-playing games to play at those conventions and playing in David's RuneQuest campaign. And as a frolic of my own, I spent my spare time writing to the RuneQuest Daily and the Glorantham Digest and other mailing lists. We didn't have social media back then, so it was easier to be productive. Anyway, at those conventions, two events I always attended were the Glorantham Storytelling Contests, where authors were invited to read aloud their latest Glorantham fiction, as long as it wasn't what my character did, and the Sing Along and Nick sessions, which were ideally held on the last night of the convention, near the bar, in a soundproof room. We built up a songbook of Glorantham music over the years. I'm sure you could find it on Facebook or BRP Central. And I always used to say that as long as you could sing at least as well as a lunar conscript, you'd be welcome to join in. The Windworths team asked us to talk about inspiring Glorantham art. You won't be surprised to hear that Jacob Rebelka's painting from the Glorantha sourcebook of the Red Goddess dancing her last dream on the face of the earth is one of my all-time favourites. Though the Chaosium's been cranking out so much great art recently, I'm sure something else will come along soon to knock it off its pedestal. I'm also blown away by the art we've commissioned for our own Johnstown Compendium books. Antonia Donchever's Mucha Blondie Glamour and Dario Corallo's Life of Moonsun VIPs in our Rough Guide to Glamour and an amazing sequence of lunar illustrations by Catherine Dirim that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you all. So I'm honoured to have been asked to help judge the Windward's talent contest and I hope you aren't all about to tell me what your character's been getting up to or sing at me worse than a lunar conscript. Thank you. Wow, I'd have to say that uh, that's setting the bar pretty high. A linear conscript? How about a Norlanthia regular? Will that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, given that some of the lunar conscripts are what, like brews and stuff, I'm not sure the bar is very high. But then uh, all anti uh, irregulars include ducks. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we, we, there is a famous opera singer well known throughout the lands from Apple Lane by the name of um, Quacktron. Hmm. Okay, enough about Dax. We still have a judge to go. Yeah, last judge is uh, Peggy. Hi, I'm Peggy. Um, I'm relatively new to Glorantha. I got interested almost two years ago when I bought a copy of Troll Pack for my husband. Um, I took a peek on his recommendation, and a few months later he was running a hero quest game for me and my troll Yuhai Leadbite, a rebel and Zeola Umbar priest. Um, outside of Glorantha, I've played RPGs and games off and on most of my life. Artistically, for Glorantha, I'm deep into Scythian culture right now um, for my work on the Yalden Killer Saga for Johnstown Compendium. Lisa Free's work in Troll Pack is a huge inspiration for all things us, and all good things are us, no matter what misinformed people might say. Rumors I can be swayed with delicious treats, and presentations of traditional hard rock us drumming are vile lies. Um, I'm excited to be a judge for this contest, and I'm looking forward to seeing what all the creative fans of Glorantha submit. Thank you, Peggy, for that one. 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm actually uh, interested, like, do you guys say it uh, like the name of the trolls? Do you say ooze or us? I've always said ooze. Ooze. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, how about yourself now? Uh, what, what, what do you say, Ludo? I was instinctively saying ooze, so that's why I was surprised to hear Peggy say us. <laughs> yeah. But she, she, she does identify with trolls, so she might know better than us. <laughs> this is true. And besides that, you can uh, take uh, the lunar um, catchphrase and alter it a tiny bit by saying we are all us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, it might, it might be uh, a thing where most you know, humans pronounce it ooze. But uh, the trolls get annoyed by it because it means pronouncing it or something. Um, well, now, that voice might sound a bit familiar to you, but uh, if not, may, you might hear it again. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to hear that uh, two of our judges so far uh, are actually pretty new to Glorantha uh, and uh, kind of match my own. Like, uh, I, I, I'm also fairly new to Glorantha. I kind of fell into it only a, a few years ago. Uh, about the time, like shortly after the guide came out, I think. Um, so it's nice to hear that we have uh, two relatively new uh, people and one old fart. Hi, Nick. <laughs> well, you know something, if, it, uh, if Chaosium was depending on people like Nick, myself, and Jorg for their future, they would not have a very long future. Yeah, true. Anyway, uh, those are our judges. Uh, anything else to mention? Yeah, come on, guys. Uh, let's hear your wonderful um, poems, your wonderful boasts, your wonderful Hortling gre greetings. Let's hear a splat um, of some kind uh, where you're explaining a myth, mm -hmm. maybe telling a myth. Anyway, let your imagination be your guide. Three minutes, audio, clean, PG-13. Um, <laughs> and if you go to our blog, you'll see that we'll have all of the information for you on where to post. All right, folks, let's take out our dice and our GM books because it's time to roll on the second Psychops table. Hmm. We will learn and speculate about what's coming up in the world of Glorantha based on information being passed down from Keeps Us On The Download. It's coming straight from M. Hmm. M. Is that mob? So, <laughs> somebody very important, so that's all I'm going to say. Now, let's pass this over to Jorg and ask Jorg to start us off. Uh, do you have your dice, Jorg? Yep, I have some. Okay. It's uh, 43. What does the SIGINT um, Psychop table have to Oh, it has to do with money. Ooh, money. money. Yes. Not money, not money penny. Well, pennies are involved. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> Actually, yeah. uh, we're taking a look at these Glorantham coins. Uh, oh, good lord. The... <laughs> we have to find that merchant with all those coins and possibly rob them. That sounds like a lot of coins. <laughs> Yeah, and there's wheels among them. So what oh, coins yeah. are we talking about? <laughs> We're talking about uh, uh, ready-to-grab coins in the image of uh, the selection of coins in the Guide to Lantha on the fourth page of uh, content. Yeah. They and are pretty looking according to our pictures, which are available on uh, Wind Whispers. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ludo, uh, how do they feel? 
Uh, so actually, let's do a, a little uh, blind test here uh, because I did receive my coins from Camping Coins. Uh, I think those guys are in like Australia or some uh, Australia or New Zealand. I forgot. Uh, I received them uh, last week. So let's see. Can you guess what this is? Clicks. A good reason to rob somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, those are the oh, those no, are no, the no, gold no. wheels. I don't win anything, do I, with that yeah. answer? Uh, if you want some clack, the clacks are uh, quite smaller, and so they uh, sound more like this. Not a very good reason to rob somebody. Well, uh, well, so good for beer. Clacks, <laughs> yeah, clacks are not too bad. What the thing? The, the thing you don't want to rob is this. Look, do you have any real coins in there? Do you have any cows? <laughs> Otherwise, we're not talking. No, but th this this one here, you don't want to rob because those are bulgs. Yeah. Well, you you might want to use them for the robbing because they make good sling stones. Yeah, true. But uh, yeah, anyway, those uh, those coins are available and they look pretty, and I hope to be able to use them for uh, my now, games. According to the sources I've read, in order to identify a bulg as being actual true currency, they they put indentations in to the bogs with their teeth. Do these bogs actually show that? Yeah, uh, yeah, they have. Two. Wow, they basically look exactly uh, exactly the same as in the guide. So in the guide, you look at the shape, you look at the like the two uh, holes in the bowl, like you know the big hole and the little hole. It's exactly mm -hmm. the same. Uh, and uh, and yeah, if if people want to check them out, we have pictures in Wind Whispers uh, in one of the issues, and uh, we'll probably put those pictures again in the show notes uh we can even put uh, the picture i take i took and post it on social media when i receive mine yeah here's the big problem it seems that we like shiny stuff a little bit too much for our own good we actually uh, featured this twice in wind whispers and well, it wasn't a mistake yeah we like money <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah they look good so i would recommend that as a uh as a playhead um play aid yeah. So, but what do you do if you don't have those coins, Bill? Well, in that case, theater of the mind, my good man, theater of the mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my merchant but... is very, very, very well dressed. He uh, smells richly um, uh, and indolently of great um, uh, perfumes and spices. His clothing are, that's what I do. Uh, but I, I think Jörg was inviting you to uh, roll on the Sigin table because you might find something uh, on there for people who don't have money. Well, Sigin usually um, uh, implies intelligence, does it not? <laughs> well, yeah. anyway, assuming that we have a little bit of intelligence, let's find out what we got here. <laughs> oh, geez, we are intelligent enough. 44, um, the code um, tells me that what we have is free or cheaper in quest. Let me repeat that one more time. Free or cheaper in quest. We're all a little bit broke these days. What if you um, want to uh, play your quest, but you can't really justify spending the 100 odd dollars to get in on uh, the game to begin with? What if you just want to try it? What if you have no money whatsoever and you want to play it? Well, there is the quick start available, which gives you rules and a module. There's a rattling wind, a module that, mm -hmm. granted, a few people have said it's a little bit deadly, so do be careful. But uh, a good module nonetheless. Yeah. And the Argon Argar Atlas. Now, how to tie these all together? 
head to um, Wind Whispers number five for a little bit more information on that. And there's another way to get some free stuff. There's lots of ways. This will be coming back. Uh, well, what, what do you have in mind, Ludo? Well, you uh, record a uh, two or three minute thing. You send it to us and maybe you'll win something. <laughs> free. Well, okay. Granted, you have to go out and buy a Yeti microphone. You have to buy a computer. You have to. You can just use your phone to record something and send it to us. Free. Yeah. Ah. Obviously speaking, you must be a member of the SIGINT uh, uh, platoon. <laughs> yes. Anyway, um, is it my turn to roll? I guess. Um, let me have a look at it or consult the table. <laughs> yes, indeed it is. <laughs> okay. I got, oh, I got a 66. Ma. Uh, and this is an ominous uh, and mysterious number. So get your kicks on uh, 66 and what do we got? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we um, mentioned in the past, uh, I think in Wind Whispers, that uh, Chaosium had announced a, a new upcoming source book for RuneQuest uh, called The Dragon's Eye and uh, written by Jonathan wow. Tweet, which is the uh, author of 13th Age and 13th Age Coral Renta and the author of, uh, the co-author of Ars Magica um, and uh, also the author of D&D 3rd Edition, I think. Yes. Well, we've had we've had rumors of uh, cool. the Dragon's Eye for decades, decades, literally. Yeah. It's kind of nice that they and some great art too. Mm. Let's not forget the great art. So the interesting thing with this book is that it will look at um, several places around Glorantha, well, around Dragon Pass. So the Dragon's Eye, the uh, Dragon Newt City that has lots of mysterious reality bending magic and things. Uh, it's going to look at the Wasp Nest. And, uh, One would imagine they would have tank involved. Uh, it's going to have what? One would imagine they would have tank um, in there as well. Tank? T-I-N-K. Tank is the uh, human city um, in between Cities. the human uh, areas and the dragon uh, nude areas oh. where you have an intermingling and a little bit of trade if the dragon is so accepted. Yeah. yeah. Well, hmm. well, city is uh, a bit exaggerated. <laughs> well, what's the city in uh, Grantha? I mean, a city is 1,000 people. Yeah, and Tank is significantly less. I mean, Actually, uh, who, who wants to live and farm in the neighborhood of uh, dragon nudes? Uh, Dragon roots? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, anyway, it's gonna look also at uh, Wilmskirk, Old Wind Temple. I think the wasp nest is probably the thing I'm most excited about, even more than Dragon's Eye. So, this isn't really just Dragon's Eye, this is all of the odd places of Grantha, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. all of the odd places of Dragon Pass, perhaps. Yeah. yeah, but so the the one interesting thing about it, supposedly, is that uh, it will offer different interpretations, different possible interpretations of some of those things in uh, a way to illustrate the saying, your your Glorenta may vary. So uh, it might be interesting in the sense that it will give different origin stories for Dragon's Eye or the Wasp Nest or whatever and different ways to use it. So I'm not sure exactly how that will materialize in the book, whether it will be actually just like a normal, you know, RPG source book that just gives you multiple options or if it will actually go into, you know, alternate canon with different histories and different uh, myths or whatever. So that's going to be interesting, I think. Jorg, you were about to say something, I think. 
Well, uh, Jonathan is well known for uh, another great game of his, mm -hmm. Over the Edge. Yeah. Which is, is also a game playing with different uh, realities intersecting. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so uh, I think he's qualified to do something. Yeah. Mm. Oh, good. I, I'm looking forward to this. The Dragon's Eye has been a place I've wanted to know more about. Pygmies riding wasps. Um, I mean, wow. Who who doesn't want to check out that and get a little bit more info on that? Yeah. It, it sounds it sounds like it's uh, when I'm going to be laying down my uh, bogs, <laughs> my clacks, and possibly even my gildus and wheels for. Ah, uh, yes. I've got some uh, Australian clacks for you. As long as you don't have any of those um, uh, horrible lunars. Gildas only accepted at this establishment. Oh, I've got some lunars for you, all right. I mean, that's what, uh, oh. that's what they take here. <laughs> we only take Gildas here. Anyway, uh, next is uh, Jurg. Can you roll again? Yeah, I can. It's a zero one. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. A critical, and I think it uh, maybe uh, counted as that. Uh, There's not an awful lot of authors that deserve a zero, zero, a 001. That must be somebody really important. Oh. Are you sure you didn't rule a zero, zero, 007? No. <laughs> but yes, uh, Martin Helsen did it again. He oh, yeah. Martin. He produced... Martin Helsden, folks. Martin Helsden is the name that he's referring to. Yes. Uh, he produced the second volume of his uh, Armies and Enemies series. And this is called Men of the West. And here he explores uh, the armies... Uh, of the Vakioni and the people uh, living next to them throughout the ages, actually. Oh, no, hold on. I thought that was, I thought this was about Lucky Luke. Le l'ombre plus vite que son ombre. I hope my French was okay on that. You mean this isn't about cowboys? Oh, uh, man. Uh, well, some cowboys, oh, no, no, some cowboys <laughs> are involved because uh, the first age inhabitants of uh, Fronela were riding uh, bulls. No bull, eh? No bull. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I mean, if you want cowboys, isn't that in Prax? Or Atlanta. <laughs> or the Orlanti territories. True, yeah. But yeah, okay, on. the cows, uh, the cows in uh, Prax uh, are either Porgioni-owned or different species. Jorg, yeah. we're, we're sidetracking you. You're talking about <laughs> yes. a very good book, I'm yes. sure, from a very good author. Yeah, so yes. this, this is in the continuation of the Armies and Enemies of Dragon Pass. Yeah, but this time uh, Martin also explores uh, previous ages, uh, so we oh, get yeah. so we get to see the development of uh, Western armor and also uh, the pose of the Westerners, uh, oh. which means we get to see some Hikimi or Sunshin. Mm, cool. So anyway, yeah, that's available for eighteen bucks on Drive Through RPG in the Johnston Compendium. And what, I haven't had a look at it, but I loved uh, owning um, the armies um, and enemies of Dragon Pass, so I'm sure this will be just as good. Well, I followed the designer's blog there uh, on uh, uh, Basic Roleplaying Org, and yeah, yeah uh, I think it will be as good. And yeah, slightly different, and uh, nobody really knew that much about the Marchioni before, so now we have something to build our opinions on, other than uh, Arthurian Knights. <laughs> yeah which they uh, definitely are not yeah because even though it's not 
you know, it's not an official product. My understanding is that uh, Martin is in close contact with Jeff Richard and other people from Chaosium. So it's an educated guess as to yes. what it could work. So it's not, it's probably not too far off of uh, being canon. Now, we were only going to look at six uh, second um, uh, messages from M, but worth mentioning, not only is West opening up, but uh, there's also the East opening up. You might want to look at the Crellarelli primer also on uh, the Johnstown Compendium. Yeah, yeah, I haven't looked at it yet, but uh, I, I will. I'm interested to see what's in there. Yeah. Well, the East and West are opening up. This is the beginning. Pretty soon it'll be South as well. Yeah. I'm waiting for Berlin's Glacier myself. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything? Is it going to be just like a two-page book with two blank pages? <laughs> oh, they, on BRP Center, well, they, they would have to be white pages, of course. Yes. I mean, very, very white to go with the snow. But no, um, there's a really neat little thread on BRP Center right now talking about Berlin's Glacier and uh, the animals that might live in the, the area. The ivory one might harvest from the area. Uh, I think it's just below the Valens Glacier. I think it's uh, like uh, uh, the area that extends northeast of um, Peloria <laughs> and above Pent. So well, not um, quite the glacier, but just below it. Well, uh, about 10 years ago, I had a theory that below the glacier could mean uh, physically uh, down below it. Oh, uh, yeah. Hmm. So uh, Well, uh, it is, it is three-dimensional. So uh, there might be some icy caves with people living there. Uh, that's possible, I guess, yeah. And of course, there's a people. rumor about the hmm. Valley of Bruce who lived there peacefully. And, and yeah. Huh. Let, leave us not forget the uh, whether you want to pronounce them ooze or us, the snow ooze. The yeah. snow trolls. Ousen, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the followers of Himmelin. Uh So, Bill, you can roll again. All right. Uh, the troll that came in from the code. Oh, here we go. <laughs> in 87, um, again, consulting uh, the code uh, tables, consulting the memos from M. What do we come up with? Well, RuneQuest Thursdays, D-Infinity, um, is uh, the company behind RuneQuest Thursdays. I believe this is a Reddit uh, item, not a BRP Central item. It's always time to spread out a little bit and remember that the Grantha family is much bigger than um, just one location. Uh, what do you mean, Reddit? Reddit, uh, the uh, no, the infinity, -D. the infinity is the is is its own uh, gaming network. Like they have their own is website. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I encountered it first on Reddit, so that's uh, why I was uh, saying Reddit. Oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, we'll have uh, uh, some links. But yeah, go on. Worth mentioning that uh, this uh, particular fan source is chock full of splats, um, lots of information about Grantha, chock full of modules, chock full of explanations of the critters that are created for the module. I cannot recall the gentleman's name. Um, either of you able to help me on this one? Good Staples. All right. He does an incredible job of just... Is he always on time? Is it every Thursday? As far as I can say, uh, as far as I can tell, yes. Wow, he's even better than we are, and we're we're pretty good on uh, keeping schedules. That's impressive. Uh, so, D Infinity RuneQuest Thursdays, uh, we will have links to it, modules, information, creature creatures, just basic thoughts. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I if I look at the past few weeks of 
RuneQuest Thursday, they have an article on uh, market oddities, like uh, weird things you can find at the market. They have an article on the Dragodon, some uh, monster you can throw at your player. They have um, one thing on a new sorcery spell called Animate. Uh, so yeah, that's the kind of stuff you can find on there. Well, let's have a quick look at this week, uh, for instance, Witchcraft. Not only does he explore witchcraft, he presents witchcraft as a possible occupation, gives uh, stats for it. I bet you dollars to donuts there will be a module forthcoming dealing with witchcraft yeah. in Red Glorantha. Yeah, wow. good stuff. Pretty good. Yeah, and once again, this is a shout out to our peers. There's an awful lot of folk out there that are not Chaosium, that are well, joining Chaosium and producing fantastic items. Okay, let's roll one last time. And that is a zero six. Uh, zero six. Uh, I've got a rumor for you coming from the uh, uh, francophone community of Glorant and Gamers. Uh, I was watching a uh, an interview of uh, oh damn, I need to look up his name. I think it's Philippe Oribo. Philippe Oribo. Yeah, basically he's the guy uh, working at Studio Dead Crows, um, uh, leading the translation of RuneQuest Roleplaying in Glorantha into French, which was crowdsourced last year. Uh, and as he was interviewed, he dropped a little uh, bit of exclusive news that um, while they are finishing to uh, translate, like most of the translation is finished they are now mostly working on the exclusive material which is the dundelos tribe book which will be released uh, in french uh, they are also uh, starting to think about um, their next project which will be not only a translation of the griffin mountain classic um, campaign from rq2 into french wow because uh, it was never translated Good. in french actually Everybody deserves to look at Griffin Mountain. What a great source. But in addition to that, they are looking at upgrading it to RQG, to uh, the latest version of RuneQuest. So we'll have updated you know, stats and, and, um, and things like that. But in the well, we've had a Griffin Mountain for um, RQs 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Well, not 6, but 7 now. Or RQG. That's pretty impressive. Mm. But in addition to that, they also want to severely expand expand it. So kind of like what uh, I guess Chaosium did with uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep, which you know started as. We're talking a four hundred page book. How how do you expand it? Uh, <laughs> you, you, ex man. you expand it into two four hundred pages book. I mean, have you, oh, have you seen the man. difference between the first edition of Masks of Nyarlathotep and the latest edition of Masks of Nyarlathotep? I think it it, it kind of tripled or quadrupled in size. Uh, and so they want to do the same. And one of the things they want to do is that I don't know if you agree with them, but uh, Philip was saying that he thinks RuneQuest is missing a, you know, a great campaign in the sense that, you know, Call of Cthulhu has Mask of Nyarlathotep and uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay has the enemy within the Imperial campaign and things like that. And so RuneQuest doesn't quite have that. And so what they want to do is... I have to disagree, but that's another day. Sure. Um, so what they want to do is take Griffin Mountain, 
keep the kind of uh, hex crawl open world uh, aspect of it, but complement it with an actual campaign with you know a series of uh, a series of scenarios that guides you through um uh through i guess like balazar and uh, the elder worlds um so you mean to say make it a little bit more like borderlands which already exists that's that was my argument i guess yes um i think his argument is that uh borderlands is probably like he probably considers it to be a good campaign but it doesn't have like it's what it's not one of those big campaigns that everybody knows, even though they don't play the game. Like everybody knows Mask of Renatotep, and everybody knows uh, like uh, the the Imperial campaign in Warhammer, even if they don't play those two campaign uh, those two games. Uh, people might also know, uh, you know, Pirates of Drynax, even if they don't play Traveler and stuff like that. So, uh, actually, no, all of the ones that you just mentioned, I don't know. <laughs> Good well, I guess he's wrong then. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so he wants. He I've wants been to pretty have... much stuck in Glorantha for the past uh, four decades. Uh, he wants to have a, a big campaign for RQG, effectively, uh, and uh, and given that Chaosium sometimes you know translates stuff from their foreign licenses back to English, we might see a, a Griffin Mountain remastered and expanded for RQG in a couple of years. The one thing that caught my attention was you mentioning the Dundalus uh, tribe. Yeah, folks, uh, we're going to get to the end of uh, the segment. Psychops section of our program fairly soon, and I'm going to recommend that you stay around if the Dundalus tribe is of any interest to you. Ah, great, and now our main topic. We're doing an interview with the, um, oh good lord, who are we doing it? Oh, that would be my secretary. I got it from Pinewood Studios. Just a second. Uh, Miss uh, Moneypenny? Uh, oh, great. My notes. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, we're doing an interview with the Carpenters for episode 007 of Windwards. So, uh, the Carpenters, uh, we have Sean and we have Peggy Carpenter, husband and wife team from Troop Games, who are going to tell us a little bit about themselves, talk about their uh, history, and talk about uh, where they're uh, going in the future with their uh, products and where they are right now, for that matter. And I'm rambling, so at this point in time, I will just simply turn over uh, to uh, Sean and say, Sean. Hello, everybody. Hi, Sean. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Um, I'll uh, limit it to uh, gaming-related stuff because you probably don't want to hear my entire life history but uh we're um, mentioning that sean is a man of many many hats one could even call him possibly a man of intrigue a ladies man yes a man of well anyway again i'm rambling i'll stop uh, yeah yeah i certainly can't talk about my hong kong years those are uh the, those haven't been released yet um but in any case um <laughs> i'm i'm the co-founder of troop games which is a new role-playing game company um we my wife peggy and i who's the other my other partner or my partner um have a long history in in gaming and and game design and game game publishing um we're actually moving into the rq mark or the uh 
RP market um, from the war games market where we were the co-owners of Ambush Alley Games, which was a and still is a successful miniature gaming company. Uh, and we hope to see the same success in the RP industry because, frankly, we uh, we enjoy RP, and it seems like uh, there it is a, definitely a, a growing market. Uh, the, it seems like a golden age for, for role players. It's a huge difference from when I got started back in 76 with my little white box set of, of D&D. And here you are right on board for the RQ Renaissance. Uh, Peggy, uh, how about yourself? Um, what uh, what have you got uh, for us? Oh, gosh. Um, let me see. I, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, <laughs> my allergies are killing me. First of all, I should apologize for my allergies. Um, and then. Oh, don't apologize. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's terrible. It's Oklahoma in the summer. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I am. As Sean said, the co-founder of the the game company, um, I you know I've been gaming off and on my whole life. Um, I did not start in '76 like Sean because I was only three years old, so I wasn't quite up to you know throwing dice at that point. I probably would have tried to eat them. Um, I'm excited to you know to branch out from war games. I I enjoy playing war games. I had a lot of fun doing demo games at conventions. We got a lot of meet a lot of cool people. Um, I'm just I'm excited to kind of jump back into my original stomping grounds, which was RPGs. So I'm looking forward to you know letting everyone see what we're working on right now. Cool. Fantastic. Oh, hey, listen, guys, we, uh, we've got a little bit of a uh, habit here with uh, our interviews uh, where we um, later on, we're going to go into a lightning round where uh, we'll uh, ask a, a series of questions with a very quick answer. One word, two words. Uh, so just to give you an example of what it is when we get to it, uh, why don't we uh, break out the uh, lightning round right now for a couple of questions? Okay. All right. Well, uh, this is how it works. Ducks or Trollkins? Trollkin. Ducks. Uh, oh my! <laughs> well, let's go through to the. Uh, let's go from controversial to a very easy question. Elmo or Yamelio? Elmo. Elmo. I told you this was going to be easy. So tickle me, Elmo, as uh, the uh, t- uh, t- uh, ticket here. Pavis or Pavis? Uh, uh, Pav Pavis. I Pavis. I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit more posh. Well, you guys have you guys have conquered the lightning round. You're going to do wonderful. Uh, so I'm going to introduce you to our host uh, for today, uh, Ludo, um, Ludovic, who is uh, going to take over uh, my uh, chores here. Hey, yes. Uh, and we are going to start off with uh, a bit of uh, a bit more history about you. Like you said, you were coming from uh, the war gaming side. Um, so, how did you actually arrive to uh, role playing games and to Glorenthan role playing games in particular? Well, it, it's it's kind of funny. Um, I'll I'll start with how we got to Glorantha first, and then I'll go to how we got to RPGs. Um, First off, Glorantha was my second, or RuneQuest was my second RPG. Um, I was a big fan of D&D when it first came out, ran an extended campaign for me and my buddies. Everybody um, was. Uh, and then uh, I heard about this new game called RuneQuest. 
and uh, and that it had this crazy system where you used percentile dice to determine if you you know basically everything worked like thieves worked back in original D&D <laughs> so I was like oh this sounds really interesting so I bought it um, and honestly, it kind of I played it a little bit with my pals, and it kind of sat on the shelf for a little while, because um, because at that point in time, the background wasn't really fully developed unless you were part of that inner circle that you know um, had access to Greg's mind. Which me living in Enid, Oklahoma, I did not have access to very many minds at all. Wasn't and, that one of the benefits though? At that point, you could do whatever you wanted. Absolutely, absolutely, it sure was. It's just that uh, there was enough flavor inherent in those original rules that it really felt like they it really felt like a setting specific set of rules and and at that point in time as a you know a young gamer still a teenager um you know it didn't occur to me that i could do whatever the heck i wanted to with whatever i bought uh that's something i i had to mature into uh but when griffin mountain came out uh, I was like, okay, here we go. Here's a whole setting that I can use. And and at that point, D and D just went by the board, and uh, you know, I ran a multi-year long Glorantha uh, and RuneQuest campaign for for me and my pals. So then life happened, and there was a lot of intervening years um, where I was off on a lot of assignments that I can't talk about. And uh, we, uh, uh, Peggy and I were sitting around one night and I was uh, waxing nostalgic about Troll Pack, which I think is probably one of the very best. Sandy Peterson. Yes, absolutely. One of the very best uh, pieces of world development that, that I've seen. Um, Wasn't the art fantastic in that? Oh park? yeah, Lisa Free is fan- yeah. fantastic artist. Yes, I def I love her work. And and when I think of trolls, her art's <laughs> what I think of. Those those are trolls I, to me. I used to think that I had a problem with the modern trolls. I I preferred the old trolls of RQ two, but no. Yeah, it's hard to hard hard not to fall in love with those things. So anyway, <laughs> Peggy decided. So, so wait, going, it, was it troll pack RQ two or RQ three? It RQ2 was R- and RQ. RQ- yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was RQ RQ two for me. Oh, okay. So uh, uh, Peggy, being a sweetheart of a wife, went behind my back and found a copy of Troll Pack on eBay <laughs> and and ordered it for me for for my birthday. Or actually, oh, I don't think it was nice. even a birthday. I think it was just out of the blue. But uh, so I got it. And I, I, you know, instantly was transported back to when I was a kid. And, you know, and it's a near mint box that she managed to get hold of. So, I mean, it's in gorgeous condition. So so I read through it and I told her, I said, you know, you should look at this. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's got some really neat stuff in it. So Peggy sat down and she she read, you know, a lot of the material. Well, pretty much all of the material in Troll Pack in about a week or so. And then she came back to me and she said, this is really cool. Now you have to run a game. <laughs> that's how it usually begins. <laughs> so so that's how we got that's how I got back into into RuneQuest. As far as how we got back into into role playing was um, it was actually uh, my kids. Uh, Peggy and I were looking for different things that we could do with our boys uh, who were both now young teens. And we thought, 
you know, when we were their age, we had a lot of fun with role-playing games. And the, the D&D, you know, explosion was in, you know, maximum output at that point in time. And uh, so we introduced the boys to, uh, to D&D. And I've got this bad habit uh, of wanting to monetize everything I enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we started thinking about uh, uh, getting into the into the RPG market, Um, the miniature donuts market. I, I was, was going to ask you about that. As soon as you brought up the boys, you, you're talking about miniatures. Uh-huh. But your, your teenage kids must have loved the miniatures. I mean, I, I as a teenage lad myself, that's what got me into um, the war gaming is uh, miniatures. Um, and I started doing a micro armor World War Three. Uh-huh. I, I see you started in that direction. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I, I don't know whether it was because our games, most of our miniature games were so fragmentary because they were play tests. But uh, for some reason, the boys just never really, really gravitated to it. Uh, so, you know, we uh, we decided to go the RPG route. Um, but, uh, and also at about that time, uh, I was beginning to have trouble. You know, one of the advantages of playing RPGs is it's theater of the mind, or at least the way we play it, it's theater of the mind. So you don't have to paint these wonderful <laughs> miniatures. And uh, I've gotten to the point where painting 20 millimeter figures was, uh, you know, next to them, next to impossible, even with a magnifying glass. So, so, uh, and we also found that we were just having a lot, a lot more fun. Don't get me wrong. We still have we still have fun with miniature games, but it's a it's a it's a different kind of fun. It's it activates two different parts of your brain. If I want to yeah. play a, a tactical game, if I want to you know do problem solving uh, from a tactical perspective, then I'll haul out one of my war games. Um, mm-hmm. If I want to be creative and collaboratively tell a story, I break out the you know the RPGs. So we decided at that point we were really interested in going that route and um uh peggy did you did you have experience with role-playing games before reading Crawl um i did i am old enough that um i played ad and d um jumped into <laughs> second edition and then from second edition i kind of dropped off for a while um i was living in alaska there were not a lot of opportunities to to find games and this was pre-internet games so yeah <laughs> but but yeah so i'd never I'd never played anything like Troll Pack before. Um, I was fascinated with trolls, and and I did. I insisted he run a game for me because um, I just wanted to play a troll. Yeah, you were fascinated enough that now a troll is actually your online avatar. Yes, yes, she is my favorite character I've ever played. <laughs> cool. Um, and uh, do do you think it's possible that there will uh, ever be uh, uh, like a Glorantham war game, miniature war game? We actually looked at that when uh, the the books were put out, uh, and I my brain I'm showing my age. I can't remember the title of the books or the gentleman that wrote them, but the the books uh, with all the great illustrations of the different armies uh, of enemies of Dragon Pass by Martin that's the one. Thank you. I could, for the life of me, could not remember it. Um, 
And uh, uh, that uh, that's de that's definitely something that could be done. Um, but we're more invested in the right now in in the in the rp side of it um i i also don't know if my approach to rpgs or if to art not rpgs to war game design would necessarily fly great with uh the the people who would be more, most interested in in rq miniature gaming because i'm very much a my game my war game design focuses on out, outcome based design um, which is rather than worrying about the processes uh, that go into how how effective a uh, a unit would be, uh, we worry about how effective they should be based on what we know about them. In other words, instead of uh, asking questions like, uh, "Is your unit smart enough to go into cover?" We assume they're smart enough to go into cover, and if they're in, and they automatically receive a cover bonus. So, so I, I'm not sure how well that would equate into a magic heavy game. Uh, it could be done. Yeah. It could be done. Okay. Well, thanks. That's a pretty good answer, Ludo. Yeah. Yeah, you got another question for these uh, folk? Uh, yeah, actually, it's more of a your question. Uh, let's ask that to Peggy first, actually, uh, <laughs> about like. Um, so you've got this. Uh, new wonderful book that I actually have in front of me right now, a Valley of Plenty, which is available in PDF on the Johnstone Compendium on Drive Through RPG, which is a, a kind of a, a clan saga uh, campaign for um, well, Hero Quest and Quest Worlds. We're going to talk about that a bit more, uh, and uh, it's based on a clan of the Dundealus tribe. Uh, and so, uh, Peggy, what, what, like, why, why did you? to pick the Dundellos tribe what's what's attractive to you about this tribe and I think I think uh, Jörg has some hard-hitting question on that <laughs> okay well first off um <laughs> the the whole horse nomad thing is is fascinating um we already you know Sean and I both already had had developed interest in like the Mongols and the Scythians and and all these people that have this this intertwined relationship with their animals um and so we wanted to and we also wanted to go with someone who wasn't just a a traditional orlanthe society um because there's there's a lot of that we kind of wanted to to branch out and with their location you know we can do stuff in like central dragon pass we can also head into prax with them um there's there's not a lot um not a lot written about them um, you know, other than the brief mention that they were destroyed in 1618. So there's a whole opportunity. Opportunity presents us up yes, right there. There's a whole wide open. And, you know, so we start pre 1618. We do cover the fall of, of the Dundelos. And then we're going to veer way off what is considered, um, you know, Chaosium canon with what happens post 1618. Also, it's. You know, Boudica is also someone who holds, you know, an interest for us. So it was kind of nice to be able to to pull that story in and and change it. Queen Boudicca yeah. of the uh, mm -hmm. Britons. Oh my, yes. yes. Of so course. this way we can kind of also change, you know, what happened there. And instead of, you know, Rome coming in and and stomping them, we can be like, yeah, you know, they come in and get some good hits in, but in the end, you know, the Dundelos persevere. Um, yeah. And and kind of be like, 
screw you, Lunars. <laughs> Whereas uh, the Pokto Queen Bodakea, of course, as we know well, uh, did not uh, win. And we ended up becoming Romanized and eventually the England. Yes, of course. <laughs> I think I think huh. the only the only thing just to add real quick about doing a, a horse tribe culture is Sean didn't take into account how much horse art he was gonna have to do. <laughs> yes, horses are hard to draw, yes. I I I uh, I sympathize. <laughs> so yeah. But when, well, if you went to, to horses, why did you not go the whole way and go to the Porjuni tribe? Of course. Yeah. Well, we we thought it would be there were there were two reasons basically. Um, one, we still wanted to be integrated into the whole ongoing saga of Dragon Pass. Um, we we definitely wanted our our story to be part of the Dragon Pass story. And uh, uh, so that's why, uh, you know, we didn't go straight to the Pole Joni. Also, we thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, one of the other things that we know about the Dandilos is that uh, that's where Derek Poljoni comes from. He was originally a Dandilos tribesman. Um, so we thought it would be very interesting to to give a glimpse of here's the culture and people that spawned Derek Poljoni. And, nice research, nice yeah. tie-in. Good. So, yeah. Bravo. Thanks. <clears throat> so, um, uh, Jorg had pointed to us, uh, you know, behind the scenes when we were preparing for this, that um, supposedly the uh, the Paul Johnny are the the real Jaldon killers, and so uh, he uh, <laughs> he seems to uh, uh, insinuate that uh, uh, the calling the Valley of Plenty part of the Jaldon killers saga might be a a, a bit um, a, a bit of a, a literary uh, freedom on your part. Can you talk about um, well? First, you can reply to Jorg if you want to shut him up. Uh, but uh, can you also talk in general about how your Glorenta varies? Sure. Um, well, first off, um, there are, I think, if I remember correctly, there are a couple of contradictory places where it talks about uh, the death the death of, of, of Yaldan and, 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 and when it takes place. Um, oh, it's Yaldan. Okay. <laughs> I, that's, how, that's how I say it because okay. I'm so used to soft J's, but, but it uh, could be Yaldan to, too. Uh, we can use that for a uh, um, lightning round for our next interview. That's <laughs> Yaldan. Yeah. There you go. Yaldan yeah. so, uh, so basically, uh, I think there's some some disagreement in the, uh, you know, in the primary source documents, if you would, um, because uh, some of the uh, material that I've read uh, indicates that uh, Derek was not yet had not yet founded the Poljoni uh, when Yaldin died. Uh, he was still in service of King What's His Face, whose name I can't remember. Uh, yeah, he was, yes, that he was, that, that he was. Yes, that he was a champion of exactly. Bring out the org. Excuse me, and uh, there are also references, um, you know, in the source material too about the Dundilos literally called themselves the the Yaldin Killers. Um, so, you know, so that's one of those things. There's lots of you know contradictory things like that in the, you know, in the Glorantham history. But 
regardless of whether it's right or wrong, that's that's how we did it in our world. And in our that's one of the places where perhaps our Glorantha varies from other people's is that we we definitely say he was still a Dundelos when he killed Yaldin. Well, we know why you done it. Uh, we know um, how you arrived at the idea. What um, what disasters await the person who decides to go off on his own that you've discovered so far, going non canonical? There, what are the pitfalls? There, the only pitfall, and Peggy, you can jump in if I if I miss something, but but from my absolutely egocentric <laughs> point of view. Um, the only the only pitfall is that uh, you will have some people yammer at you about not being canon, um, <laughs> and for me, um, that doesn't that doesn't signify um, because uh, uh, we just uh, you know I learned a long time ago, and it's actually one of the founding principles of of how we publish our games, whether they're RPGs or miniature games is you paid for the game you own it it's yours (laughs) i have said that so many times you're paying 200 dollars minimum to buy in on a grant at one point or another yeah you may as well enjoy it do what may do what makes the game fun i mean i think that is the really the underlying meaning behind maximum game fun is you know, people tend to apply it to to, <laughs> to to small things, you know, to like, well, how does this rule work? Oh, just use maximum game fun. Okay, sure, that's true. But mm-hmm. on a broader scale, it means nobody can tell you you're doing it wrong at your own table. It's your table. Yeah, there is no wrong fun. There is no wrong <laughs> fun. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know. Oh, the, good call. Good call. And, and, uh, that, that is a fantastic yeah. note to wrap up uh, the uh, question <laughs> of um, how does your game vary? Uh, Ludo, <laughs> would you like to move us um, along? Uh, sure, actually, because uh, next question is something that, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I actually was super excited when I heard about the original pitch of Valley of Plenty, uh, because uh, one of the, the, the premises of the book is that you start off as kids in the clan and you kind of, you know, grow up with increasingly uh uh, grand adventures with uh, higher stakes and uh, one reason I was excited about that is because that was also my approach for uh, what I'm working on which is a, a campaign based on the Bakad tribe or Bashad or I, I haven't made up my mind of how you pronounce it uh, <laughs> me, but, me uh, either me either <laughs> so um, uh, so yeah how, how did you arrive at this idea how, like what does it solve what kind of pitfalls does it like the the advantages and disadvantages of it okay um well we introduced our our kids when they were what 13 14 to glorantha we we pulled them into balazar and they had a lot of fun but but one of the things they kept saying is i feel like there's more stuff i should know than i know it's it's hard for me to to connect to a lot of this stuff because Mm -hmm. because i don't know the the depth of the world so when we started talking about doing the the Yalding killers, we thought we could alleviate some of that by having them start as children. You you don't know everything about, you know, the situation in Dragon Pass, all the stuff going on in Pavis, any of that stuff. You know about what's going on in Dundelos Ford in your valley. I know what you mean. That's the best way to play it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know that stuff. And also, one of the things we found in playtesting is grown-ups love playing kids. 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it lets them get, it, it yeah, lets them do stupid so. things. Yes. Yes. So you get to do a lot of crazy stuff as a kid and there's really low consequences. You know, you might wind up with a skinned knee. You might wind up, you know, with your head having to be shaved because you got bugs or or whatever. Um, but you're not going to die. You know, you've, you've got that safety net. Now, that <laughs> for some might be a pitfall. You know, sometimes that fear of death is what helps people have fun and, and that doesn't exist in the first couple of, of scenario settings because your kids and it's, you're supposed to grow up and be a hero. You're supposed to grow up and, and help save your tribe. And you know, that doesn't work if you fall into the river when you're 10 and you drown. So, so we tried to make it, you know, here's a low key way to learn about your character, to learn about the setting, you know, you're all in this together, your childhood friends. So you don't have that awkward, well, why would I hang out with you guys? I just met you in a tavern, you know, because <laughs> you grew up, you've got stories. Yeah. You're like, oh, remember when we stole this from this person and we broke this guy's nose and, and we all got in trouble because yeah. we showed up smelling of, you know, filthy mud or whatever. Yep. Cool. I was just going to say, you know, it, it, she hit all the, you know, all the high points. It's just, we wanted to be able to give a an environment where new players could get an easy introduction into Glorantha without having to drink from the fire hose. Uh, <laughs> we we wanted to introduce them to um, the mechanics of the game, you know, incrementally and in small in baby steps, if you would. And uh, uh, and we love the idea of the. The relationship between the player characters building organic organically. Yeah, because often you, you'll see games where you start as you know adult heroes, and there's this thing at character creation where you have to go you know make up a relationship with at least one other uh, player character right. uh, that you that you share. But here, effectively, you're actually playing through it, and so it's actually stronger in the end. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I was wondering, if we are, do you guys mind being a read to from uh, your your own work? No, no, as long as you as long as you do it in my accent, it's okay. <laughs> well, I'll have to give it a try, but I can't really say that much of a southern gentleman. But uh, PCs came to sideline and robbed an agency. <laughs> did I do okay? You did pretty good. Yeah, awesome. Keep as going. important NPCs take center stage. Now, we all know this. BRP Central is full of this. For this reason, we suggest where possible you engineer sources to put the spotlight on a PC and beyond that, allow PCs to adopt NPCs as characters that would make excellent players. I've been doing this for years, and I've done it not with the idea that you have uh, developed, with the idea that you're going to die in RuneQuest. <laughs> you better have a second character, otherwise we're going to have to roll you up another one. It takes time. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But, I mean, this this is marvelous thinking. This this is brilliant, um, having the NPCs along as a narrative guide and something for the can – I, can I give away a bit of a spoiler? I'm, I'm, it's been out for a while. I think it's probably safe. <laughs> Something for the PCs to slip into as they go along. Like, where did this come from? The, the actually, I can't claim uh, absolute brilliance on on that point. Uh, every, all the other stuff that's in the book that's brilliant, I do claim. But that this piece, I have to, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, give credit where credit's due. Um, actually, uh, one of the games that made a huge impact on me as a game designer 
was the very first edition of Ars Magica back in the Dark Ages, or Ars Magica, yeah. I guess, if I'm going to pronounce it properly in Latin. But um, <laughs> uh, and it introduced York can help you with and that. It introduced the. Uh, well, good. He probably he was probably cringed when I said that was proper, but in, <laughs> no, it was quite good. <laughs> but in any case, uh, uh, they introduced the the concept of troop play way back way back then, back in the like middle '80s, I think. And yeah, uh, you you got that the name of your uh, role playing company from that kind of right? From yes, they they <laughs> they were all about troop play. That was their yeah. their big, and we that's where we. That's how we named our company is we, we want to kind of try to carry that that torch forward because for whatever reason, um, it seemed to get lost. I mean, I, I think it was, you know, I not trying to, you know, since I've said it was not my idea originally, I'm not patting myself on the back. You know, I think that uh, that was a brilliant piece of, of, of design. You reminded me, Paranoia did the same thing with clones. You were meant to burn through your clones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You burned through clones. But what was interesting about ours, ours Magica was that it did a it did a neat deal where uh, every player had a main character that was their wizard because it was a wizard based game, um, and then every player had a companion character who was actually more what we would consider the usual RPG main character and that companion had to be a companion to one of the other players wizards and then there was this pool of characters that they called grogs who were basically red shirt NPCs <laughs> um, but each one of them could have some special you know, talent or skill or attribute. And uh, when I first ran that game, people had a lot of fun coming up with their wizards and they had a pretty decent time coming up with their uh, companions. But they had an absolute ball figuring out all of these, you know, here's what the cook is like. And then the cook has an assistant and they're always trying to steal <laughs> cookies and, right. you know, and all of this stuff. And anybody could jump in and play any one of those Characters. You're inviting the players to into the creation yes. process. You're allowing them to be a game masters for a day. Exactly, and that <laughs> and, and as the as our story goes on with the Yaldin Killers, you'll see more of that. Initially, it's the first book is pretty traditional. You just play your main, you know, you just play your character. But as the books go forward, you'll see more and more of the troop aspect, the troop philosophy of play introduced. That that's fantastic. Yeah. We introduced that just real quick to to finish it off. We introduced that in the second book. Um, in one of the early scenarios, the player characters step out of their characters for a specific scenario, and they play um, young kids, not young kids, but they play kids again who are on the cusp of adulthood. Just to kind of tie that mm, back cool. in a little. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, cool. I know that it works in RuneQuest because I used to do that. I know yeah. it works in Paranoia, Bards of Magicka. <laughs> it also works in HeroQuest, so uh, it's good that yeah. you guys are going to keep that formula going forward. And I, and I still, uh, I'm still convinced that the proper way, like if somebody were to make a book on uh, sorcerers, like Zabori sorcerers or whatever from the West, mm -hmm. I think that that would be the right way to go because the the great thing about the way Ars Magica did it is that it 
went around the problem of the uh, you know the magician who is supposed to spend ninety percent of his time doing research and, and spell preparation in his you know ivory tower and shit like that. So <laughs> so they can't actually go adventuring all the time. When they go out of their tower, it's a big deal. And so right. the, the this aspect of yeah. true play where you actually play your sorcerer only once every three or four adventures uh that's that's what really works for me yeah. and i think that's that's how sorcery should be played in even in glorenta but uh but yeah it's great to yeah. hear that you're gonna do that in valley of plenty well in- i hear Jorg about to cut in there and i'm pretty yeah. sure that he's got something he's dying to say well what's on your mind Jorg? Uh, well, um, hero quest uh, try uh or plan to do the same thing with the uh, eastern mystics Oh, so that's you would have cool. one, okay. Yeah, so you would have uh, you would have had one uh, mystic who just goes uh, somewhere meditating for maybe hundred, uh, maybe century or so, and in the meantime, you're playing your martial artist who's doing all the cool wushu stuff. Was that uh, was that a book that was planned? Um, that was for Kralorada or the East Isles, and yeah. it was uh, definitely in uh, in preparation at some time. Oh, is it still coming up or has it been dropped? Uh, I think it was for Hero Quest 1, so it may have been dropped. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> <laughs> Missed by that Missed much. By so it. you're saying it's coming next year. <laughs> right, right, right. It it's definitely, will definitely be released in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, I'm going to party you, like you, 1989. You people know that as soon as the RuneQuest uh, Hero Quest rules are released, we're, we'll have to retire all these jokes, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've, we'll I'm come up with new for ones. My, uh, board game of Masters of Luck and Death. yes yeah um anyway uh we were talking about uh hero quest and uh, so we know that uh, hero quest is actually changing right now because it's changing into uh quest worlds with the uh ongoing uh the the, uh, work in progress uh srd that is uh being released under some open license and i know that uh sean especially is very active on the quest world uh facebook groups talking a lot with uh jan cooper the line editor for quest worlds and hero quest and uh it's well i first i'd like to know you know why you know peggy and sean you you really like quest worlds and you actually went with quest world for valley of plenty but it's especially interesting to me because you are historically uh, miniature gamers especially sean and miniature gamers tend to create also crunchy and tactical um uh, uh role-playing games so it's interesting that you can actually split your brain and i didn't know, catch that ludo nicely done narrative yeah so uh <laughs> can you talk about why you like quest worlds and and Sure, sure. That's actually that's what I, in my clumsy way before, was trying to allude yeah. to when I talked about the possibility of doing a a, a war game uh, based on Glorantha. We, if if you go look at uh, any of our war games, uh, you'll see we don't we don't we don't take that approach. Uh, we take a very abstract approach. Um, there's enough enough crunch in our war game rules to produce verisimilitude, but it's not, 
we don't put bonuses in there just for bonuses, you know. Um, we don't say, oh, well, this tank is a little better because it was welded. You know, any tanks that are welded this way get an additional plus one, and those that don't, unless you're using this ammunition, in which case they get a <laughs> minus one. And, you know, we just don't delve into that crunch. We tend to just give them a quality rating and, and go from there. Um, so wait, you're, you're a narrative wargamer? <laughs> that, that's actually one of the... Well, WRG never went into that kind of guts either when I was uh, playing Micro Armor World War Three. Sure. Um, they, if you had Shobin armor, you had Shobin armor. Yep. Um, the chieftain was uh, considered equivalent to the T-80. Yep. We, for Shobin armor. We, yeah. Yep. Well, we did get... Uh, um, that actually was something that we did we we did kind of use as a as a selling point, is that we were a narrative uh, style war game, and it was one of the things that people either loved about our rules or hated about our rules. Uh, for instance, right. most war games use a point based system to to make a battle fair. Right. If the assumption being, if I've got five hundred dollar or five hundred points worth of Saxons on one side, and you have five hundred points worth of uh, Danes on the other side, then it's a fair fight. Um, well, his, <laughs> historically, how often was there a fair fight? You know, I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. One side shoots. If the generals, if the generals had anything to say about it, no. never. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you, you you probably really liked when you started playing RuneQuest, where there's no balance. Yeah, that to to me, balance is not a not really a, a big a big issue at all. Um, hey, this is a question that's really on my mind. Questworld SRD versus BRP OGL. Um, now, these are a whole bunch of uh, th TLAs, three-letter acronyms. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the difference? Now, BRP is not going to allow Questworld or Grantha into its OGL, but Questworlds will. I'm just hoping gaming license, by the way, the OGL. Um, I'm not overly sure what SRD stands for, so York can help us on that. System uh, reference. System recurrence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I live with SRDs, not only for my my pre my daytime job used to be in the software industry, and we have SRDs there too. Um, but but in any case, uh, the big difference for me between the BRP OGL and the Quest Rules OGL is simplicity. Um, but but how does Quest Rules allow the use of grant material where BRP? Uh, I don't think it does. They, they, I think I yeah, think you, yeah. you can only still release it on the Johnstone Compendium. That's correct. No, this. Oh, I'm sorry, but uh, you released yours as a Quest Rules product. Yes, through the John through Johnstown Compendium. That sounds convoluted. You've got to be a man of mystery to be able to solve that one. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like Johnson Compendium overrides the prohibition. That's correct. Yes. That's, that's, that's it. It's because, uh, and it makes sense. It's a very logical solution because it allows, uh, you know, player-based publications to be to be produced. Um, Glorantha, or excuse me, uh, Chaosium uh, makes a, a, a fair share of the of the revenue off of it. And I'm and I and I mean that I think that the share that they take is absolutely fair. Um, and uh, uh, so you that's why you see all the productivity right now in Johnstown Compendium is that, you know, it really is a nice deal for people like uh, like us. No mm -hmm. doubt, that's fantastic. And um, uh, like, why did you go with uh, Quest Worlds and not RuneQuest then? It's um, we're more interested. I especially am more interested in um, the the character 
as a as a person rather than as a, a list of stats. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to go, you know, my my wildling playtest character um, has has tons of stuff on her sheet that she can do really cool things with beyond just being. I'm going to roll and see if my 15% lets me do it or my 85% do it. And and for us, the story should take precedent over over stats. Okay. Yeah, one of uh, our one of our slogans, one of our mantras that we use all the time, mantras that we use all the time, is uh, the rules need to stay the hell out of the way of the story. I mean, and that's mm-hmm. you know, our our other is yeah. never make it difficult for the customer to give you money. Well, that's a fantastic <laughs> wrap up to um, our question of the Quest World or RuneQuest or BRP. Yeah. Um, so, so I guess we should move on to our. Uh, Big question for you. Yeah. Um, so when I, uh, so again, I've got Valley of Plenty in front of me here. I got it in uh, print on demand. Uh, and uh, it seems that uh, like inclusivity is a big uh, topic on your mind. You've got, uh, you know, some warnings at the at the beginning of the book about um, what, uh, what kind of stuff uh, people might uh, find, like the, you know, uh, um, mature themes that might be in the book, et cetera, et cetera. So can you tell us about, um, you know, trigger warnings and generally like how you want to raise uh, inclusivity of your products? Uh, Well, you know, to start off, I'm a woman. Women are not traditionally, you know, had it easy, you know, making their way into into hobbies like um, wargaming or even RPGs. Yeah. You know, I'm, no, I'm, no, there's be some nastiness. Right, shocking. There's be some nastiness. Um, and nowadays, you know, we've we've made a lot of inroads in a lot of the hobby area with women being more included, but we've still got work to do as far as including, um, you know, um, people of color, um, you know, people of of genders that don't conform to a to a two gender belief system, um, people with disabilities. Seven in Orlanti society. So uh, why, 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 why would we limit ourselves to two? Exactly. So, you know, our goal is, is to make everybody aware that, that we want them to have a place in our game. Our, our game is not trying to shut anybody out. Um, don't let gatekeepers, um, you know, gatekeepers are, are, are the worst thing for the hobby. And, and that ties into, you know, our belief about trigger warnings or content warnings is that um, these games are supposed to be fun. They're for you to, to get out of the world. So if there's something in it that, that might affect you, it's only fair to let you know that it doesn't. Then you can decide, you know, as a table. If, Round of applause. Yeah, if, if you want to do that or not, you know. And especially with the Yaldin Killer saga, you know, something terrible happens to Hara. Um, we have changed it from canon because personally I feel like using um, sexual assault to further a narrative is is really old and really could go away and we'd all be happier and better off. Mm-hmm. But so, so to get to that point, we kind of felt like what well, we should start as we mean to go on, we should put a content warning. And, and nowadays with the, you know, with the pandemic going on, there are a lot of people who are affected by it, who've, who have affected by it who've lost loved ones so it seemed only fair to be like hey this could happen if you're one of our playtesters lost his parents pretty early on in the playtest and when he rolled on an interlude chart his parents died and so we were like this card system then 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge fan of the X card system. I feel like, you know, if you can't be considerate and kind towards your supposed friends that you game with, maybe you're the one that should step away from the table and not them. Yeah, mm, yeah. And um, well, and it like you mentioned that um, like the fact that uh, you're starting as kids in the Valley of Plenty, you you mentioned that this actually might help introduce kids also to the table so that's also another uh um, another way of increasing inclusivity by uh bringing in uh younger people into the hobby right yes oh, improving we, our hobby as well for that matter yeah, eh? yeah we need younger people yeah we absolutely need to <laughs> to find that next generation and encourage them because you know my generation and and sean's generation we're we're going to age out of the hobby you know if you <laughs> want Sean and I are fossils. I think we were around when they were writing the Bible. Exactly. He might not count. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and Peggy, do you have any um, uh, uh, any like you know insights or uh, opinions to share about like the difference between being a woman in the in the role playing hobby and being a woman in the wargaming hobby? I imagine the you know wargaming hobby might even be more skewed towards. Uh, grumpy bearded males. I represent that remark. Two to one, Ludo. Two to one. <laughs> yeah, our, I think I feel like the RPG community is definitely um, has gotten easier. I know there are a lot of women who war game, um, but a lot of them are like you know Sean and I when we started. Is you know they play with their spouse or their roommate or whatever. Um, I, I kind of had a different experience because when I got started, I was part of a company. So I was sitting at a demo table at a con running my game. Yeah, she started out as a superstar, basically. Hey, quick question. <laughs> Here's a quick question for you. We go over to the um, video games and we have Gamergate a few years back, where which was absolutely disgusting, mm -hmm. unconscionable. There you are sitting with a bunch of geeks. Now, the geeks that I remember from uh, years ago, that I used to interact with face-to-face -face before we had this pandemic were of the nicest of sorts. They were the ones that were always isolated and put off to the side. Now, we're no longer in that world. Uh, we're in a world where um, role-playing is very much uh, commonplace. Do, do you find that uh, the people that would approach you at these tables were they nice? Uh, a bit more than uh, one would expect? I think so. We were... Um, our, our game was a little bit niche, even in even in miniature gaming, and we actually were approached by a lot of veterans, um, and and I and and so I think you know we didn't get a lot of the young kids, and we got them, but but they tended to fall in line with the older people who who you got men that realized that they loved women. Yes, they were extremely respectful. Yeah. You know, I, I never had anyone you know give me trouble when I was running a game or tell me I didn't know what I was doing or. You know, try and mansplain my own rules to me. So notch, notch one up for our community of board gamers and uh, fancy role players. Then. Absolutely, and it, it's absolutely. It was it was really interesting to watch um, because we would run. This is kind of off topic, but but we would go to the conventions and we would run these convention games, and Peggy would run them and 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 help me run them. And we never knew exactly who we were playing with until usually after the game and it was real interesting to run a game that was about a specific firefight in Fallujah and 
have a, a guy at the end at the when the game was over tell you, oh yeah, I was three blocks over from that. Um, and oh wow, those those guys, you you know you wouldn't think they'd be interested in playing those kind of games having lived it, um, but they actually were. Um, we even had people, we had people order games from us who had APOs that were you know Baghdad and and you know and uh, fire bases in Afghanistan and things like that. So, uh, but those gentlemen and and occasional ladies that we had come to the table were unfailingly kind to to Peggy, which is something that I think speaks Bravo. well. So, any horse nomads out there? Buy our book. I'm sure you'll like it. <laughs> Inclusivity in gaming. We can say that uh, we're doing fairly well in the RPG area, and especially in Chaosium, which is always favored women. I think we're definitely making ground. Uh, you know, we're, we're we're definitely making ground, which is, which is, which is good. There's still, I think everybody still has work to do, um, but at least more people are conscious that there is. You know that there are improvements that need to be made, and you know, I, I know a lot of people, especially in the RuneQuest crowd, tend to poo-poo at D and D, but Five uh, E is something we should all, you know, just thank the gaming gods for because it opened this market up gigantically. There you go. We've Inclu speaking of inclusivity, you're actually uh, inviting the enemy into it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and those guys, I mean, Why not? yeah, exactly. Why not? Uh we all started out as D&D players. Yeah. So, uh, I didn't, but yeah. Groups, <laughs> <laughs> I believe, for you. All of the, you yeah. know, everybody who counts started out as a D&D player. <laughs> so we're down to, I'm a horrible person. I'm, I've been given the uh, job of Arachnosaurus era. I've got my web out. I'm keeping track of time. And time is ticking. We're moving into our last couple of questions here. Have we, uh, inclusivity, very important topic. Have we covered it fairly well? Uh, yeah. Can we go direct, go to our last couple of questions, uh, Sean? Absolutely. Well, uh, let me pass it over to you there, Ludo. I think uh, we've got uh, one more listed question, and of course, our famous question from the last one that we finished off yes. with it. Well, uh, well, get next to. is um, so again, we've been uh, talking to you mostly because of your wonderful new book, Valley of Plenty. Again, available on Drive Through RPG. And uh, uh, can you tell us what's coming up next? Uh, <laughs> because this is only volume one. I mean, it says so on spoiler the, warning, spoiler warning. It, it says so on, the, on the spine there, book one of the Golden <laughs> Killer Saga. So, what's, what's book two? When is it coming out? When, how, who? Well, but is, it, is it next year? It, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, yeah, right. It's oh, not, Ludo, you're evil. 1988. Spring of 1988. <laughs> okay, I'll be ready. Our, I'll be ready with my dollars in hand. Our plan is to have it out by the end of this year. Um, that that's what we're working on, and and I will be the first to admit that if we miss that, that's probably my fault because, again, in order to uh, uh, you know make the game somewhat affordable, we're uh, I'm doing most of the artwork, and I am I'm not as fast an artist as as people who actually get paid to do it for a living are. Um, but <laughs> but the next book is uh, entitled Rise of the Wildlings. 
Um, and it is about the characters that you play in the first book um, emerging as uh, a powerful uh, a subset, a band, if you will, uh, within the Blue Jay clan of, of the Dundilos. Um, it takes them a little further out of the orbit of Hara uh, and uh, lets them start solving problems and and uh, and going on missions and doing things you know entirely on their own uh, if if you do allow people to play uh, Ula Ula can still be involved but uh, but if not if Ula's an NPC you will even leave Ula out so it's so most of the scenarios are you know entirely driven by PC action and an agency um, and interestingly enough, it will cover the, uh, you know, one of the major upheavals prior to 1618, which is uh, Starbrow's Rebellion in 1613 and what the Dundelos role is in that rebellion. Cool. Um, Bill and Jörg, do you have any uh, last questions that came up to mind? Oh, I'm fine. <laughs> well, there, there is the one... Well, when we started deciding to do, to do interviews, we all went out onto the web and we went to, to find it, do a little bit of research. I came across this one question. Are there any questions we have not asked that we should have asked? We love the question. Sure. And so let's turn it over to you guys. Okay. What, what, what did we not ask you? Um, Maybe you want to ask Peggy. I'll, I'll give the answer first. Oh, good, good. Ernest, and then I can correct him. Ernest hit <laughs> right, right. The answer, Bravo. The answer is... Ernest Hemingway. You're a fan of Johnny Carson, I could tell. The que the question is, who yeah. would win in a fight between Fat Elvis and Fat Ernest Hemingway? <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't ask that. No, I don't know why. No. It's it's, it's something York. most people ask me. Ludo. <laughs> I, I, well, all we can say is we're we're idiots. We have no idea why we didn't ask that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's okay. You guys yes. are new at this, so I understand. <laughs> now, okay, the, the, the thing, though, is that we know, we know from a previous interview we did that Fat Elvis is actually the Red Emperor and so has access to a lot of um, moon magic. What does Ernest Hemingway have for himself? Beautiful dog. Ernest Hemingway sure. has a shotgun and nothing to lose. <laughs> and beautiful daughters. Let's let's face it. He has beautiful daughters. Nice. Um, okay, then I guess uh, you can uh, take us to uh, a last uh, lighting round before we end the interview. Then. Okay. So, violence, or is there always another way? Always, always another, another way. way. Yep. Uh -huh. oh. Rarey and Alden. Thralls or no thralls? I couldn't catch that. What was it again? Thralls or no thralls? No thralls. Peggy? Uh, no thralls. Okay. Mm -hmm. Never. <laughs> your, own, your own cattle or stolen cattle? Stolen cattle. Stolen cattle. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any other kind? They're all <laughs> stolen at one time or another. <laughs> Navy or infantry? Navy. Mm, Navy. Mm. Ah. Metal minis or plastic? Plastic. Oh. You know why? Uh, Go ahead, Peggy, answer, and then I'll explain why I'm right. Yeah. 
Maybe I'll change my answer. Um, Metal minis are nice and usually have higher levels of detail. Plastic minis, on the other hand, are very easy to cut so that you can modify them. Ah, mudding. I'm still going to say metal just to be contrary. (laughs) (laughs) Moving along, New York. Modern combat, sci-fi warfare, or fantasy battles? Sci-fi warfare. Uh, fantasy. Mm. Ah. But I, I say sci-fi for a. I've got kind of a of an agenda there. Um, I'm not thinking like Star Wars era. I'm thinking more actual near future sci-fi that's based on you know current forecast development and weapons technology, ah. and uh, that stuff fascinates me. So. I'm going to say that you must be very much a fan of Philip K. Dick in that case. Yeah, and Drake, and um, yeah, there's awesome. there's, a, there's a lot of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So two more. So two more, and uh, that will uh, bring us to a conclusion of a fantastic interview with a fantastic couple. You guys have been wonderful. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you. So, so your story seeds or adventures? Story seeds. Uh, story seeds. Mm-hmm. And, and the most the important one? question of all: shaken or stirred? <laughs> Tradition. Now I drink a lot of martinis. <laughs> and so much for lightning round. This will take a little bit of time. Yeah, but I, I, I slow all. Lightning for me is very, uh, you know. <laughs> you sir, uh, southern gentleman. I could tell. I drink a lot of martinis, and technically, they are supposed to be stirred. That is yeah. the correct way to prepare a martini. However, <laughs> when I make them at home, I shake them. So shake yeah. them. Now, we all know that we get married so that we can be corrected at least uh, by somebody who knows us. Uh, Peggy? <laughs> um, all right. Look, I have no opinion. I'm just, I'm just going to remove myself from this. <laughs> she doesn't, straight up bourbon. Yeah. My answer is straight up yeah. bourbon. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. like gin or vodka, so she is not yeah. a martini person. <laughs> Okay. Now, Arachno Solera tells us that the clock on the wall tells us that we're getting very near the end here. Uh, it's been wonderful having you guys. Yeah, thank you for uh, coming on the show. Well, thank you well, for, thank having you for having us. And uh, so, uh, once again, I mean, you're coming on the show and uh, you're supposed to do uh, a bit of marketing. So tell us again, once again, what's your book and where people can get it? Um, yes, our- please do. Book one in the Yeldon Killer Saga is called Valley of Plenty. You can find it in PDF or POD on RPG in the Johnstown Compendium. There are four more books planned. There are supposed to be three, but the second one went long. So. <laughs> now, those of you with TARDISes, that TARDIS is, of course, as we all know, time in reality, dimensions in space. Doctor Who uses it to travel back and forth through time. Those of you with TARDISes, uh, book two and book three and book four are also available, as is... Um, I. Uh, Late news, Masters of Luck and Death, and Hero Quest rules. <laughs> Woo! Spring, in spring of 1988. <laughs> be there or be square. Oh, my. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you again for having us. It was a lot of fun. Yep. It was a ball. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wind Words. Our website is windwords.fm, where you can find other episodes. Reach us via email at tribe at windwords.fm for any questions or feedback. 
we are all us. <laughs> <laughs>